0: Well, good morning, Edgewood. Good morning, Kyle. <laughs> My name is Kyle, and I'm the discipleship pastor here at Edgewood. <laughs> and today we're going to be talking about invitations. Now, we all love getting an invitation to some sort of event or party, and back in the day that used to come through snail mail or you perhaps you hand one to somebody. And um, in those, it's pretty simple. Either you're going or not going. So you RSVP to let someone know if you can go or not go. But in this day and age, there's so many other ways that we get word out about events. We have Save the Dates that go out about baby showers and and weddings. And um, we have social media. We have email that you can send those through. Uh, We also have a thing called Facebook events. Uh, Now, Facebook events, it's a little harder to pin down who's actually coming, if you know where I'm going with this. So in Facebook events, and I've planned a lot of these through different ministries with youth and young adults, but you have the going option, you have the not going option, but then you have that pesky little button that says interested, or maybe. And people love to press that button, because why? They like to keep their options open. They don't really want to commit to going, or maybe they might think that something else is coming up, or they want to see who's going to be there as well. Now, I don't know what Facebook was thinking when they did that because what happens with those kinds of events is if you invite 50 people, you might have 10 that say they're going and 10 that say they're not going and 30 that say they're interested. And so then how do you plan for that event? How do you make sure you have enough food or enough space for all of that? Well, at some point with events like that, you must make a decision to go or not to go. That is the question. You can't stay on the fence forever. Once that event gets there, you have to decide what are you going to do? So today, if you thought that I, as the discipleship pastor, was going to give a sermon on discipleship, well, then you'd be absolutely correct. We are going to talk about discipleship. (laughs) Man, we got a funny crowd today. But I'm sure you've heard of the great commandment. It talks about loving God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength, and loving your neighbor as yourself. We talk about the Great Commission a lot here as well. Go into all the world and preach the gospel, make disciples. But have you heard of the Great Invitation? Well, I'm sure you've seen the passage, but we'll get there in just a minute in Matthew chapter 4. Now, last weekend, we had the Prophecy Conference. How many of you had the opportunity to come to the Prophecy Conference? Okay, that was a great time. We learned about living now in light of forever, but I love what Dr. Rodelnik said on Friday evening. We can talk about prophecy, and then that's all good and well, but so what? So what? What? what do you actually do with that? Is it just to have more knowledge about future events? How does it actually change what we're going to do? So what now? We need to ask ourselves when we are living now in light of forever. So in Matthew 1 through 4, we find out about the events of Jesus' life before his ministry began. We see the genealogy of Jesus. We see his birth. We see the, the magi that come and give gifts. We see his baptism by John the Baptist. We see Jesus' temptation when he goes out into the wilderness as tempted by the devil and then begins his ministry. And he actually begins his ministry even somewhat before he even calls some of the first disciples. He was already teaching and preaching. So we're going to be in Matthew 4, 18 through 22 today. So before we start reading, I want to open in prayer and uh, pray about that God will just show us, reveal to us what he wants us to learn today. Also, for those who are the Edgewood family, we just want you to know, uh, Cheryl Lucas, uh, one of our own members uh, and a believer in Jesus, went home to be with the Lord uh, this week. So we want to remember her family in prayers as well. So let's look to the Lord in prayer. God, we thank you for this time together. We thank you for your word. We thank you for the opportunity to, to read, Lord, what it means to follow you and to be disciples of you today. Lord, I pray that your word would not return void. You would help us to understand what it means for us, um, for those who perhaps have been following you for a long time and for those that still need to begin that journey. Lord, so I pray that you just be working and moving here today. Lord, I pray that you'd be with the family of Cheryl and just uh, a loss, Lord, but thank you that we know that she knows you and she is with you now. We pray that you'd be with her family. You lift them up and uh, comfort them with the comfort that only you can give, truly, Lord. Uh, we thank you for her and her life and legacy, and uh, I just pray that you would be with them. But I pray that you'd be with everybody in this room today, that you would meet them where they're at. We all have different things going on in our lives Uh, But Lord, here for the next few moments, I pray that you would just help us to settle in and understand what you want us to know. We ask all these things in your name. Amen. So this passage here in Matthew 4, 18 through uh, 22 is simple, yet I believe it's a deep passage because of what it entails. It says this, uh, with Jesus uh, beginning this. It says, while walking by the Sea of Galilee, he saw two brothers, Simon, who is called Peter, and Andrew, his brother, casting a net into the sea for they were fishermen. And he said to them, follow me, and I will make you fishers of men. Immediately they left their nets and followed him. And going on from there, he saw two other brothers, James, the son of Zebedee, and John, his brother, and the boat with Zebedee, their father, mending their nets, and he called them. Immediately they left the boat and their father and followed him. Now, after reading that passage, you might be thinking, are we going to really have an entire sermon on just a couple of dudes following Jesus down the beach? Well, we want to talk about this and break this down and talk more about what this actually entailed for. The disciples and what it means for us today. Well, we can see aspects of the great invitation in all four Gospels. We also see it in Mark one sixteen 16 through 20, and Luke 5, 1 through 11, and John 1, through 42, Jesus' interactions with different disciples. But this wasn't necessarily their first meeting with Jesus. It wasn't just a random person that came up to them and said, hey, follow me. They knew a little bit about Jesus and what he had been doing. Two of these guys had been John's disciples, and most have heard of them already to some extent. But when Jesus said, follow me to these men, what did that mean? It's more than just a follow the leader or Simon Says type of thing. It wasn't just merely to imitate what Jesus was doing. Although when you think about that and the childlike faith it took for them to follow Jesus, I think we can learn from that. I mean, your own children, think about them when they were younger. I think of my own children, how they, in some ways, they want to be like me. They try to mimic and do the things that I do. I think of my own children. Uh, youngest son, Owen, right now, who's two, he literally repeats everything that we say. And you have to be very careful about the things you say. You know that as a parent. But they want to be like their parents. They want to be like someone older than who they look up to. But when Jesus said, follow me, it literally means, come behind me. There was a saying back in that day when a disciple would follow a rabbi. It says this, to be covered in the dust of your rabbi. You should be following so closely behind them that literally they would kick up dust and get that on your clothing. But the Jewish tradition of becoming a disciple was no easy task. It was very difficult. And I got a little help from Jared Hall, uh, who spoke at the conference last weekend on this. But for young Jewish boys, they would begin memorizing the Torah at a very young age. The Torah was the first five books of the Hebrew Bible, and they would literally memorize that. I mean, can you imagine memorizing that much scripture? on our WANA program here at Edgewood, it's excellent, and we encourage our students to read and memorize scripture, and that's really good. But for any of those kids to actually memorize a book of the Bible— or five books of the Bible, that's what these young Jewish boys were doing, and they had to do that by the age of 12 if they wanted to make the cut and go on to the next part. And then over the next six years, they would seek to memorize the Tanakh, which was basically the rest of the Hebrew Bible. So by the age of 18, if they had the entirety of the Bible memorized, then they had the possibility of becoming a disciple of a rabbi. Can you imagine? Then at the age of 30, after following their rabbi, they had the possibility of becoming a rabbi themselves, if they made that cut. Now think for a second with the, about the original 12 disciples of Jesus. None of these guys had made the cut. Most of these guys were tradesmen. They worked normal jobs. Some of them were even teenagers. So whether they didn't make the cut because of they didn't have enough knowledge or memorize enough or they just weren't old enough, but Jesus chose them. Isn't that interesting? Now did he choose them because he saw something in them? No, he, there was nothing special about these guys, but they were special because he chose them. That's what's special about them. So he said, "Follow me, and I will make you fishers of men." Basically, he's saying your days of catching fish are all but over. Are, are all but over. You will now be catching people. You'll little be saving people from hell by sharing the good news about me and God and God's kingdom with the world. You'll be fishing for men. And what does it say that they did? It says immediately, without hesitation, they followed Jesus. Wow, they left their nets, their livelihood, even their own father Zebedee behind. I mean, imagine what he was thinking. Where are you going following this guy? And we have work to do. But James and John, they did that very thing. And then we have the calling of Matthew, also known as Levi. He left his livelihood as a tax collector. It says he immediately followed Jesus. We see that account in multiple gospels. We see interactions with Philip and Nathaniel and Jesus as well. And even though we don't see all of those callings with all of the disciples, we know all of their names. We have the list of the 12 disciples, and you can see those there. We have Simon, to whom he gave the name Peter. Cephas was another name we saw from him. James and John, the sons of Zebedee. Andrew, Peter's brother. We have Philip and Bartholomew, uh, also known as Nathaniel. Matthew, also called Levi. And Thomas and James, the son of Alphaeus. And Thaddeus and Simon the Zealot and Judas Iscariot. We have different names in other passages, and so maybe some of these were family names or nicknames given to these guys. But here's the thing about all these guys. Again, there's nothing special about them. They came from very different backgrounds. They weren't all the same or had the same jobs. Two in particular stand out to me. We had Simon the Zealot, and we have Matthew the tax collector. Simon the Zealot, I mean, the zealot was part of a group that was basically an extremist group that was fighting against the Roman government and the oppression, And then you have Matthew, who literally worked for the government, and Jesus put these guys in the same group. Isn't that interesting? That should show us something, that even though we have differing views on different things, we can still get along, or we need to get along. Jesus thought that was important. So Mark 3.14 says this, he appointed 12 to be with him, meaning all the time they were following him. And Jesus had different circles of influence, so we see the 12 here, the 12 disciples, but we also have the 72. There were more that were there that began following that Jesus sent out at another time, but then also he had a very small group. Remember this? The three, Peter, James, and John, who he had even that more intimate connection with. So the three, the 12, and the 72, we have these circles of influence. And what can we learn from those? And we'll talk about that a little bit later on. But over the course of three years, these guys followed Jesus. They would learn the way of Jesus in the ministry model of Jesus, which basically started like this. To follow me means, all right, you watch me do it, okay? Now, I'll do it again, but you help me this time. Now you do it, and I'll help and assist you. And now, eventually, he leaves, and he says, now I'll watch you do it. And that's the ministry model of Jesus that we see here. So we think about all that and what that, all that entailed for the early disciples. What does follow me mean for us today? What are the implications of such a passage for us today? I would say to follow Jesus, even in this day and age, is not easy. We're creatures of habit. We like having routines. We enjoy doing the same things day in and day out. Part of that is by obligation. We go to the same job or we're around the same people, but we enjoy watching the same shows. We enjoy our routines. We like comfortable. We like familiar. For us, change is the exception rather than the rule. But there is something more, but it does not come naturally. We talk about living on mission here, and if you truly live on mission every day of your life, then your day-to-day interactions are not always going to be the same. They're going to change. You have to be flexible and realize that. But to be a disciple of Jesus literally means to be a learner and a follower. Change is typical for the disciple. It's the rule rather than the exception. Now, here at Edgewood, we define disciples as this, a believer who lovingly follows Jesus and intentionally helps others to follow him. Lovingly follows Jesus, intentionally helps others to follow him. Now, as I've studied discipleship over the years, and I've always loved this quote, man, this has been so helpful for me from Dallas Willard and the divine conspiracy, but he says it this way when it comes to following Jesus. I am learning from Jesus to live my life as he would live my life if he were me. I'm not necessarily learning to do everything he did, but I am learning how to do everything I do in the manner that he did all that he did. Did you catch what he's saying there? So do what I do in the manner that he did what he did. Now you might be thinking, is that kind of like the uh, what would Jesus do bracelets that we used to wear in the 90s? Who wore one of those? Man, that was the trend back then. We all had them. Even unbelievers wear them because it was a trendy thing back then. But that question, it's a good question, but I don't know if it actually gets to the heart of the matter always. Because when we ask that question, what would Jesus do? Well, we don't always know what Jesus would do. Jesus did lots of different things every different day when we see that, those interactions in the Gospels. A lot of times he would answer a question with a question. He would say things and pose things to his disciples and they would be confused and they wouldn't quite know what to do with that. And he would say things that would baffle them. Sometimes he was an enigma to them. It almost seems like he never did the same thing twice. But when you ask that question, what would Jesus do, and you think about that quote that we just saw, what would Jesus do, though, if he were me? If Jesus were standing in my shoes, if he were living my life, if he was going to my job, if he lived in my family, if he was going to my school, how would he treat people? Now, I think we're getting somewhere, understanding what it means to follow Jesus, and live that kind of life he would live if he was in our shoes. So we can learn from Jesus also by just simply reading the Gospels. I encourage people all the time, always be reading the Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. We need to learn the way of Jesus as much as we can. And we don't just invite Jesus into our lives, he invites us into his life. We must learn the way of Jesus. But we also need to remember that following Jesus isn't just going from one mountaintop experience, spiritual experience to the next, or conjuring up enough faith and boldness to go share that from time to time. We just remember that everyday faithfulness and obedience are underrated today. And that needs to change. just need to follow Jesus in the little things in life as well. So to follow Jesus, we must be a believer, to understand what it means. Jesus is Lord and Savior. He came to this earth was sinless. He was our substitute. He died and rose again. We accept and believe that. We know that we are headed to be with him one day. We must believe that message, but also we must die to ourselves to follow Jesus in this way. Matthew 10, we see this clearly. And whoever does not take his cross and follow me is not worthy of me. Whoever finds his life will lose it, and whoever loses his life for my sake will find it. Galatians 2.20, we have... Paul reiterating certain things like this. Galatians 2.20, I've been crucified with Christ. It is no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. Colossians 3.3, you have died, and your life is hidden with Christ and God. So we have lots of verses about dying to ourselves, and a great quote from David Platt that sums this up, says this, this is the heart of Jesus' call to follow him. When you become a Christian, you die, and Jesus becomes your life. So a switch needs to be flipped, I think, for some of us. This is not just what we do. It's who we are now as we follow him. And if that wasn't hard enough, it gets harder at times. Luke 9.23, if anyone wishes to come after me, he must deny himself and take up his cross daily and follow me. Wait, so this wasn't just a one-time decision? No, this is an everyday decision to follow Jesus. And we think of what it means to take up your cross and follow him. It's hard for us to understand, I think, here in the West at times. We have a lot of freedom. We've romanticized the cross. We use it as a piece of art on walls. There's nothing wrong with that. But, you know, we wear it in necklaces and on earrings. But for the early disciples, the cross was an instrument of torture and death. That's how they viewed it. They were probably thinking, what is Jesus talking about? To take up a cross and follow him. Now, if you study the life of the disciples and know what actually happened to them, They literally followed Jesus' footsteps in this way. you know about the fate of the 12 disciples, how they died after going to the ends of the earth, as Jesus called them to? You can read about this in Fox's Book of Martyrs with some of them. Sean McDowell wrote, uh, an apologist, he wrote his doctoral dissertation on this. Another book called The Search for the 12 Apostles helps us with church history. And it shows us how these disciples died martyrs' deaths. Some of these had differing Stories of exactly how they died, but we know that they died for their faith. So I want you to see these because I think it's important for us to know what it cost them. But Peter, Peter was crucified upside down in Rome. James was beheaded in Jerusalem. John was exiled. Now John was the only one that didn't actually die a martyr's death, but he was exiled to Patmos where he wrote Revelation. He eventually made it back to Ephesus, they believe, and started a church there. Andrew, they believe, was crucified in southern Russia or Greece. Philip went to Central Asia, where he endured stoning and crucifixion, or perhaps hanging, they're not quite sure. Bartholomew, also known as Nathaniel, went to Asia Minor and to Turkey, where he was perhaps crucified or killed by knives. Thomas, remember doubting Thomas as he got that bad rap? He went all the way to southern India where today there are still people there in India that call themselves the St. Thomas Christians. Did you know that? But there he was stoned and speared to death. Matthew remained in Jerusalem for a while, eventually went to Africa where he was likely martyred in Egypt or Ethiopia. He was possibly burned at the stake. James, the son of Alphaeus, believed to have been crucified in Egypt. Simon the Zealot ministered with Thaddeus, most likely crucified in Persia. And Thaddeus went to Edessa and Persia. There he was shot with arrows. So these guys literally went to the ends of the known earth to spread the gospel, just as Jesus has commanded them. And we'll talk about that more at the end. This is not to mention other disciples of Jesus that came after, like Matthias and John Mark and Barnabas and Apollos and Luke and Lazarus. What happened to them? Surely some of them lost their lives because of their faith. We know about Paul, right, who was beheaded in Rome after being in prison there. So think about this. All but Judas, who hung himself, he took his own life. All but Judas and John died gruesome martyrs' deaths after preaching the gospel to the ends of the earth. And that persecution and martyrdom didn't stop there. It continued throughout history. I recently finished a biography um, by John Patton. It was actually an autobiography, But this man, young man, went to the South Pacific to minister on the Isle of Tanna in the New Hebrides in the 1860s. Now you might be thinking, hey, that might be a cool place to go. Not then, where there were cannibals. So when he first started telling people that he was gonna go, raising support and prayer support, there were people that tried to talk him out of it, and I understand that to a certain extent. But one old man in particular said this, cannibals, you will be eaten By cannibals. And he replied in this way, John said this, Mr. Dixon, you are advanced in years now, and your own prospect is soon to be laid in the grave, there to be eaten by worms. I confess to you that if I can but live and die serving and honoring the Lord Jesus, it will make no difference to me whether I'm eaten by cannibals or by worms. And in the great day, my resurrection body will arise as fair as yours in the likeness of our risen Redeemer. Oh my word. Of course, the old man had nothing to say after that. But John, he went. He actually brought his wife and young son, his infant son with him, who unfortunately died soon after because of sickness, because of disease that they incurred there. But John continued to minister. His life was in constant danger there. There were other missionaries that had been there right before him who had died as martyrs. There were some that had been killed during his stay there. So over the course of the next four or five years, He was sharing the gospel, the good news, whenever he could. And when he left, there were only a handful of followers, of believers in Jesus there. And he had to leave because literally his life was in danger every single day. But when he left, he encouraged more missionaries to go back. And he himself went back to another island later on. But then, get this, at the end of his life, on that original island where he first ministered, Almost all the people there had become Christians. So God's word did not return void. People died and were martyred, but God's word went forth. Now we might think that, well, that was hundreds of years ago, or think of the early church and the disciples, that was thousands of years ago. Well, did you know there's probably more persecution of Christians now than ever before? You can read about this in voiceofthemartyrspersecution.com. There are modern day martyrs today in places like Nigeria and North Korea and Iran. You can take a plane ride 12 or 15 hours and get to some of these places, it's not that far. We live on the same planet. Dietrich Bonhoeffer said this in 1940s, he was a pastor in Germany and he had the audacity to speak out against the Nazi regime, and he was later killed because of it. He said this, when Christ calls a man, he bids him come and die. So we must surrender our will and our ways to become like Jesus. We need to set aside our dreams and desires. We don't need to follow our heart or follow our dreams, as Disney says. We we don't need to just do what feels good or feels right all the time. If our hearts have the ability or potential to deceive us, then we must seek guidance outside of ourselves, not from within. Jeremiah tells us the heart is deceitful and desperately sick. Who can understand it? We must be countercultural to the identity narrative of today. So when people follow Jesus, their lives are going to look different. They can't just look the same. So to follow Jesus, we must believe. We must die to ourselves and we must count the cost. Jesus talked about this in Luke 14. He said before you build something or invest in something, you count the cost. What is this actually going to cost me before I do this thing? So we need to ask ourselves that question. Has our faith in Jesus ever actually cost us anything? The Bible says all who live godly lives in Christ Jesus will suffer persecution. You're thinking, well maybe that hasn't really happened to me. We do have a lot of our freedom still here but That may not always be the case. It's definitely not the case for our brothers and sisters in Christ around the world. But ask yourself, has your faith ever cost you anything? Has it cost you your reputation or a relationship? Jesus did say the world will hate us. So what does that look like for you and for me? So why follow Jesus? This does seem hard. It seems like it can be difficult, doesn't it? Well, I ask you this question. Is the gospel true or not? Is it true or not? Did Jesus really come here to earth? Did he die? Did he raise again? I would say there's so much evidence for the resurrection. If people would just study it, they would understand that's true. But think of the disciples themselves. The disciples all went out and died for their faith. Now, they all also claim to have seen the resurrected Jesus. Now, tell me this. If they had made that up, if they had lied about that, would they have really been willing to go spread the gospel to the ends of the earth and then die for it if they knew it was a lie? I don't think so. So the disciples themselves, I would say, is one of the greatest apologetics that we have. We know that they died for their faith because they believed it was true because they actually saw the resurrected Jesus. There's evidence to back that up. But then on top of all that, the blessings of knowing God both now and forever, having a relationship with our creator and savior, that's why we follow him. But at the same time, we need to be careful about how we spread this news, share this good news with other people. Because sometimes we're, it's almost like we're begging people to join. We, we, we say, oh, if you just say these words, just pray this prayer. There's, there's nothing magical about that. We need to understand, we need to fight against easy believism and realize that in Matthew 7, 21 through 23, 23, there will literally be people who thought they were Christians, but Jesus will say to them, I never knew you. I never actually had a relationship with you. So now help under, help people understand that, yes, accepting Jesus Christ as our Lord and Savior, that's just the beginning. But we also need to count the cost. We also need to follow him. That's what it looks like. So how do you know if you are a true disciple? Well, the first question is this, do you abide? Abide means to remain, stay, reside somewhere. Are you sticking with Jesus? I think for so many people, man, it's just... Well, if I just prayed this prayer this one time, i just go back to living my life how it was. I just don't think that's how it works. Have you made Jesus your Savior and your Lord? He's your master now. John 15 says this, I am the vine, you are the branches, abide in me, for apart from me you can do nothing. And in John 8, so Jesus said to the Jews who had believed in him, if you abide in my word, you are truly my disciples, and you will know the truth, and the truth will set you free. So do you know, sorry, do you abide in Jesus and the word? Do you abide in Jesus and the word? Number two, do you love one another? These are passages that talk about what it means to be a disciple. Do you love one another? John 13, 35. By this, all men will know that you are my disciples if you what? Love one another. If you just have love for one another in this room, that's how people will know that you are disciples. But unfortunately, even today in churches, we can't even get along at times. Number three, do you bear fruit? John 15, 8. By this Is my Father glorified that you bear much fruit and so what? Prove to be my disciples. So, church, the fruit of the Spirit, it's a result of the Spirit of God in you love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self control. Against such things, there is no law. If you are a follower of Jesus, a disciple of Jesus, you should bear the fruit of the Spirit in your life. People should be able to see that. A disciple reproduces themselves, they bear fruit. So here's the thing I want us to understand, though. Practicing these things don't make you a Christian, but they are the result of becoming a Christian. I would also encourage you to read 1 John. It says this, I write these things to you who believe in the name of the Son of God that you may know that you have eternal life. And he lays out all of these things to help us to know this result of someone being a Christian, a follower of Jesus. This is how we know that decision uh, was genuine and real conversion took place. So the point of sharing all of this is not for you to doubt your salvation if you're a a true believer, but only to confirm it. However, if you are not a true follower of Jesus, then perhaps this is what you need to hear in order to place true saving faith in Jesus. Because I believe your life after becoming a believer can't look the same. It needs to look different. I know there's ups and downs, and sometimes as believers, we still struggle with sin and we backslide. We have those issues But if you're going to follow Jesus, you're deciding to stick with him. So in light of all this, how do we apply everything that we learn? Well, I think the perfect application, of of course, is Matthew 28, the Great Commission. Go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. And behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. So as believers, we're called to make disciples disciples not just converts. A convert is someone that just may come to saving faith in Jesus, but it just stops with them. A disciple, though, reproduces themselves. They replicate themselves. They multiply. This is a biblical command. This is a, an imperative from Jesus. And we must intend to do this. We have to be intentional about making disciples. It doesn't just happen on by accident. That's why one of the initiatives we started here is what is called intentional discipleship. We have Quite a few people here at Edgewood involved with this, and we have older, more mature believers pouring into younger believers, learning what it means to be a disciple, who will in turn one day go and make more disciples. So you can sign up on the website, you want to learn more about that. But that word discipleship, it's doing life with other growing believers. And there's three things I see that it helps with. The first is accountability. We need accountability in our lives in this day and age. There's so much going on, we're so busy. There's so much temptation out there. We need other believers that we can rub shoulders with that will help us to be accountable daily, weekly perhaps, in order to make sure that we're still growing in our faith in Jesus. Sanctification is another way this helps. We're becoming more and more conformed to the image of Jesus. I think discipleship helps with that sanctification process. We're never going to get to a place in this life where we've arrived. We're always going to be growing until we see Jesus face to face. And then number three, multiplication. Replicating ourselves, making more disciples. That's what discipleship does. 2 Timothy 2. two, two uh, Paul says this, And what you have heard from me in the presence of many witnesses, entrust to faithful men and women, of course, who will be able to teach others also. So entrust these teachings to faithful men who will be able to t- teach others also, we pass it on. It doesn't stop with us. It flows through us. So let's go back to the circle of influence that we're talking about with Jesus and that ministry model. The 3, the 12, the 72. How can we orient our lives to look more like that? So here today, I mean, think of that largest number, the 72, okay? Perhaps that's kind of what this looks like. We're gathering with worship, to worship with other believers, so that's good but what are other ways that we're connecting with people? Think about the 12. Are you involved with some sort of small group group or growth group or some kind of group of people that you do life with? But then think about the three that Jesus had, Peter, James, and John, that tight-knit group. Are there, there more people that you can trust and you can be accountable to and with So that could be something like intentional discipleship here. That could be a smaller group of people that you're studying God's word with. What does that look like in your life? How can we orient our lives to maybe look a little bit more like that? Because I believe as believers, as disciples of Jesus, coming together and worshiping like this is good. We need this, right? Weekly we need this. But I think sometimes we need to take things to the next level, have more accountability in our lives, more sanctification taking place. So our summary question From this and so we've been talking about following Jesus is this who are you investing in who are you investing in or pouring into and who is investing in you are you learning from someone and are you passing that on to someone else man I would love to get to a place here at Edgewood where all our people are doing that they're involved in people's lives in that way in some form or fashion that's how we make disciples we pass it on Are you involved in some sort of group here? How are you connecting outside of these worship services? We want to connect you here at Edgewood. If you want to learn more about growth groups or home groups, uh, come out here to the table. We have some electives starting. We have our Sunday morning growth groups going on. Talk to me about getting involved with a home group. We want to get you connected in that way. So as we recap everything we've learned today, what kind of person are you going to be? Who are you becoming? Do you want to continue to be that person who just rides the fence or who's just interested in Jesus? Or will maybe get serious later in life? We need to remember that the great invitation is still offered to each of us today to follow him. Jesus says, follow me to each of us. And I would say you can't be a true disciple of Jesus and follow at a distance or just when it's convenient for you. That's a dangerous place to be in that we've seen. Remember, a disciple is a believer who lovingly follows Jesus and intentionally helps others to follow him. As we close out, I just want to reiterate this is that gospel message. Maybe you're thinking here, I've never begun that journey of following Jesus. Well, it does start with that. With Romans 10, confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised Jesus from the dead and you will be saved. But let's remember, that's only the beginning. That's not the end point. That's the beginning point of following Jesus. So if you've never asked Jesus to come into your life and begin that relationship, I would encourage you to pray that today. And then commit to following Jesus for the rest of your life. So whether you're here today and you've been following Jesus for a long time or you're just getting started, ask God, where do you see me? What, do I, what needs to change in my life? Am I following closely? Or do I need to pick things up? Or do I just need literally need to begin a relationship with Jesus today? So as we close in prayer, you can bow your heads and close your eyes. Just consider those different positions. If you've never asked Jesus Christ to lead your life, you can pray to him today and begin that journey. Please come talk to me afterwards and we will work through that and what that looks like. And maybe you've been a believer for a long time, but you want to learn what more what it means to follow Jesus and to help others to follow him. So let's close in prayer. God, thank you so much for this time together. We thank you for your word. We thank you how it informs us. It shapes us. It molds us. Lord, I pray that we would take this simple passage of scripture today and following you and we would just simply apply it to our own lives. What does it mean to really follow you, Jesus? Jesus? If you were in our shoes, how would you act and how would you speak to people and love them and show them compassion and empathy? Lord, I pray that we would consider each of the, our own lives that you've given us and how that applies to us. Lord, I pray that if there's anybody here today that doesn't know you, they need to begin a relationship with you. Lord, I pray that they would ask you to lead their life today and they would tell somebody and we would help them to get there on that journey of following you. And Lord, if there's others that have known you for a long time but, They just need to start discipling others, younger believers. Lord, I pray that you would put that in their heart and they would seek to want to do that, to pass on their faith to the next generation. God, we thank you for your word. We believe that your word will never return void, God. So we ask you that you would help us today to go here forth from this place and to go and continue to spread the gospel, to live on mission, to make more disciples. We ask all these things in your name. Amen.